0: The book of Joshua is really kind of one of those transition kind of books. And as you think about Israel at that particular time, and they are now just east of the Jordan. They have spent 40 years in the wilderness. They are getting ready to enter into that promised land. And so Joshua is the new leader, and he's going to be leading them uh, into that promised land. But I want you to think and I want you to keep in mind as we study this some of these people that are getting ready to move into the promised land they were born in the desert and that generation that came out of Egypt they have died off because of their unfaithfulness and now God is going to bring following the leadership of Joshua, this new group into the promised land. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and we read verses 1 through 4, but I just want to mention this, and we'll look at this again in just a moment. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, it says Moses is making reference to God, and he says, He is the rock. And he makes that point as they're getting ready to go into this land. Deuteronomy is bringing one chapter in Israel's history to a close. Joshua is opening a new chapter in Israel's history. And right there at that intersection, at that transition point, Moses says in regards to God, he is the rock. I want you to keep that in mind. I'll go ahead and put this introduction slide up there. So, Deuteronomy 32 is actually really a song of Moses. and We'll kind of point that out in just a moment. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses is going to give an image of God. And so the three points that we're going to talk about this morning is there is a, there is a need for an image of God. God is the rock, and then God is our rock. So I'll put up this first slide. The need for an image. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4 once again. I want you to notice. Moses says, Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as rain drops on the tender herb, as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Moses making some of his final words in this context here. To this new generation as they're entering into this land. And I think it's interesting that he gives th- this image. Because we got to keep in mind also that their parents a number of years earlier had been given the opportunity to enter into this land. And Moses had sent numbers 13, Moses had sent 12 spies to spy out the land. And we remember the story how they came back and 10 of them gave a negative report and they said, we can't take that land. (laughs) And in that land, there's giants in that land. And there's strong cities and fortified walls. We can't do it. And that's the reason why that generation would die in that wilderness. And now their children have come to the border of that land and it's time for them to enter in. So I want you to think about this. A new land, a new life, going to cross that Jordan. You're going to face those battles. You're going to face those people that your parents were scared of. And so what's going through your mind? Now, in some ways they may be ready. (laughs) They have spent forty years wandering in the wilderness. But in another way, they've got to be concerned. And so this is kind of a scary time. And you know, you we as human beings, we do not necessarily like change, do we? (laughs) Isn't that what we always say? people don't like change. And even though they know something positive is waiting and God has been telling them, but yet they're going to have to face this <coughs> and to go through this change. So in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, God sa- or Moses says, God, he is the rock. Now, I want to call your attention also to earlier in this same book. Because in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and verse four, Moses had put it this way He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What was he saying? What he wanted Israel to understand is. He says, the Lord, our God, the God that we have, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And the point that he was making to them is, your forefathers dwelt in a land that worshiped a multitude of gods. The land in which you are going to, those people worship a multitude of gods. And your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and the point that he's making is there are no other gods. There is just one. Let it sink in. So everything you're anticipating everything you're thinking about I want you to keep in mind your God your Lord our Lord is one the one Deuteronomy 32 God he is the rock and that's what Moses is telling at this time Whatever you may be faced with, whatever you may struggle with, you keep that in mind. Your Lord, He's the rock. That's the image that you need to have. So now, pause for a moment and think. Watch your Image of God. Exodus the 20th chapter is where Moses delivers the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment is what? I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods. Second commandment is and thou shall bear no graven image. Some translations say thou shalt not make for yourself any image. So what's God saying to him on that occasion? Don't you attempt to make for yourself and form and fashion some kind of image that will represent me. <laughs> because your understanding is And whatever image you make is going to be inadequate and it's not going to correctly represent the God of heaven. Now there's something else we have to notice about that commandment too. He says thou shalt bear no graven image. Thou shalt not make for yourself any graven image. But he doesn't tell them that you shall not have any image. Can we see that? What he's saying is don't you (laughs) try to make that image. Because the Lord of Heaven is going to reveal Himself so that you'll have an image. So that you'll come to understand Him. People in the past people presently. Maybe you have yourself. Maybe I have myself. We have, we formulate within our minds an image of God. I I have a book in my study. It's entitled Your God is Too Small. J.B. Phillips, I think, is the author of that. And in that book, he talks about how sometimes people have an image of God that is God is like Santa Claus. So there's things that I need. I take my list and I go see him. I make my requests. And then the next time I need something else, I come back. And that's kind of the way they treat God. He's like Santa Claus. And then he said that sometimes people will have an image of God that's kind of like that tender-hearted grandparent. You know how grandparents deal with grandchildren oftentimes? I've heard parents say this before. Every time we send the kids to the grandparents, when they come back home, we have to retrain them. Because when they go to grandma's or grandpa's house, it seems like they just kind of get away with whatever they want, and so JB Phillips is saying that's that's the image some people have that God's just kind of this grand or God is just kind of this grandfatherly type of person, and it just doesn't really matter. But then he said, on the flip side of that coin is. Some people never really try to draw close to God because they think of God as a cosmic cop. (laughs) He's just kind of overlooking, looking down at us, just kind of waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can punish us for that. Another writer put it this way. He said, What comes to our minds... When we think of God is one of the most important things about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is one of the most important things about us. He says it makes a huge difference in your life. He goes on to say, is your God loving or is He angry? Is He distant Or is he near? I want to stop right there for just a second. We oftentimes talk about a relationship with God. And probably one of the closest things that we can identify with on our sort of human level is whenever we think about kids and parents. And I know it while I was at the high school. I talked to a lot of kids. And a lot of kids came from what we might refer to as dysfunctional families. And I remember talking with kids and they would make reference to a, a father or to a mother and how they just do not have a good relationship with them. But I'll also tell you this. On more than one occasion, I had students tell me I would like to have a relationship with Him. Well, the fortunate part for us is if we want a relationship with God, God wants it even more than we do. He doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be near. And so when we think about Him, Is he loving, angry, is he distant, near, is he just, unjust? Whatever image you have touches all aspects of your life. That writer went on to say, your outlook on life is influenced by that image that you have. Your view of yourself, your view of others, your response to trials and difficulties and disappointments your sense of meaning and worth, your morality and your purpose is affected by the image that you have of God. And so we ask ourselves, what can we count on no matter what? After 40 years, Of leading God's people in the wilderness. And Moses coming to this point. He says God. Your God. He is the rock. And that's the point that he makes at this time. Moses knew they need to have a proper image. I want to give you a passage from Jeremiah the ninth chapter in verse 23 and 24. In... uh, Turn to the wrong one there. Jeremiah nine chapter and verse twenty three. It says, "Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth." For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Jeremiah says, if you're going to glory in something, glory in the fact that that you know the Lord. That's the point Moses is wanting to make to them too. No matter what stage you might be in life, no matter what challenge you might be facing, no matter what blessing you might be enjoying, You need a proper image of God. And Moses said on this occasion, he said, he's the rock. And so whenever we stop and we think about that, you know, there are a lot of questions which may never be fully answered for us in this life. And maybe you've thought about some of these things. I know I have thought about some of these things. When one person dies and another person lives have you ever thought (laughs) why did that turn out that way? Have you ever thought why is that person so blessed in life? And someone else that you might have known, and I'm stating this from personal experience because I wondered about this. Why is it this person seems like such a good person and their life is one struggle after another? And you wonder, why is it that way? when we think about life there's uncertainty and there's mystery and at times the things that we experience we think they're confusing but then we come back to this and you remember these words I do not know what tomorrow holds but I know who holds tomorrow Moses says the Lord. He is the rock. No matter what you face when you cross that Jordan, I want you to keep this in mind. Notice what he says in verse 2. we we'll We're back there for just a second. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 2. Let my teaching drop as the rain my speech distill as the dew as rain drops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass what's Moses saying I want you to let my words fall on you and I want them to be like the rain I want them to be like the dew And whenever we think about that, we think about the life that rain brings. And the refreshing that the dew brings. And Moses says, let my words fall on you. And in verse 1, he calls heaven and earth to listen into what he is saying. And then he says, let my words fall on you like the rain and like the dew on the grass. And then he goes on to talk about the Lord, and he says, He is the rock. As God reveals Himself in Scripture, sometimes He uses names. We've talked about this before. Sometimes He refers to Himself as El Shaddai, He is Almighty. Sometimes He refers to Himself as Jehovah Shalom, He is the God of peace. Sometimes He refers to Himself as Adonai, He is our Master. But oftentimes, what He does, what the Holy Spirit does, He uses word pictures. That's what's happening here. He is a rock. In another place, He is the shield. David says, He is my shepherd. He is my king. And in each one of these images, it gives us understanding. And it helps us to understand how we can relate to Him. And it helps us how He can relate to us and touch our lives. How much He wants to touch our lives in each one of those areas. He's my rock. That's a foundation for life. He's my shield. That's my protection because sometimes life hurts, doesn't it? He's my shepherd. He leads and he feeds and he cares for. He's the king. He reigns over all. We serve him. So in Deuteronomy 32, Moses said, he is the rock. I want to give you a little bit of background. So as you think about this, and we kind of try to make application of this to us, you have to keep in mind at this point in time that for generations the forefathers of these people they had been enslaved in Egypt living among pagans and idol worshippers and a multitude of gods. And you have to think about during that period of time And they spent close to 400 years in Egypt. And what did they have to give them hope? What did they have to keep them hanging on? You know what they had? They had the stories from the previous generations. They had the traditions that had been handed down to them. And they had been told about Abraham and they had been told about Isaac and they had been told about Jacob and they knew of Joseph and how he originally came there because he'd been sold into slavery. You think about that. 400 years. And it's story after story after story. And you remember... When they were crying out for deliverance. And now God sends Moses. Forty years ago. After all that time. Now God sends Moses. And now there's the plagues. And now there's the parting of the Red Sea. And now there's the Exodus, and now there's coming to Sinai, and now there's the giving of the law, and now there's the setting up of the priesthood and the tabernacle, and the leading of Moses from that point going forward. God is active. Think about that. All that time. And they've had these stories and these traditions handed down and handed down and handed down. And now in the last 40 years what all has happened? But now it's coming to the end of Moses' life. And they had heard about Abraham. And they had heard about those promises that God had made to him. That God would make of him a great nation. And that his descendants would be settled in this land. And now that's happening. They're fulfilling that. That promise is being fulfilled. But now Moses is going to be going away. Moses had played his role in all of this. And so now he gathers the people And he reviews the law and in Deuteronomy 31 he says this is what I want you to do with that law. I want you to take that book that you now have and I want you to put it beside the ark. And you keep that. And God following this is going to tell Joshua, don't ever let that word, that law depart from your mouth. And so as he gathers the people, Deuteronomy 32 is that point in time where he is telling them what God has done. The law that he's delivered, the book that he has given them. And then in Deuteronomy 32, this is a song in essence. And Moses is breaking out into praise and he's talking about God and His greatness and His attributes and he says that He is the rock. That's the image that he wants to have as they go forward. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, no less than five times he will refer to God as the rock. And so what's the image that Moses is trying to impress upon them, that he's trying to leave with them, as he knows these are some of his final words. So you stop and think about. If that's the words that Moses uses, and then you have to think about how they would have thought about him using that kind of word picture about a rock. And one of the ways in which they would have thought about it is they may have heard those stories that was handed down to them from their forefathers in generations past, how that back when they were in Egypt and they were slaves and how they built and how they used huge and massive rocks to lay a foundation for for the building projects. That's one of the ways that they would think about that. That's their rock. But another way in which they might think about it, because this generation, some of them were born in the wilderness. And they've traveled through the desert. And if any of you have ever spent any time in the desert, I'm sure you've probably seen this. Sometimes you will come upon those huge, like boulders, that you, that you come across. And you look at those things and you think, that's been there forever. <laughs> and it's not going to move. And so they think about that foundation. They think about those boulders that they encounter. And so what's some of the image that comes to their mind? And so as they think about God as a rock, that is the idea of stability, and it's the idea of permanence. It doesn't move. They don't change. But Moses adds something to this. He says that he is perfect. In creation, he's perfect. In salvation, perfect. In deliverance, perfect in fulfilling his promises perfect so now they've got to think back on what God has done what God has promised and now what they're experiencing and Moses says he's perfect and that doesn't change and he also says that he is just and that he's fair And what he wants them to understand, that doesn't change because he's the rock. And he is truth. And that doesn't change because he's the rock. And he is never unjust. And that doesn't change because he's the rock. And he's righteous and he's upright. And that doesn't change. And that's the image that Moses is trying to impress upon them. Your God does not change you can count on this. So in verse 31, he says, for their rock, speaking about the people into the land in which they are going, he says, for their rock is not like our rock. They think they've got something to count but their rock he's not like our rock and so what Moses is suggesting is your god is permanent he's stable he's unchanging his character doesn't change And his ways don't change. This is a firm foundation you can build on. This is a new world. This is a new life. And God is a rock. That's important for them to understand that. These people, for 40 years, they've been nomads, they've lived in tents. And they have traveled. And now they're going to become farmers and shepherds and vine keepers. And they're going to live in cities that they did not build. They're going to face challenges. They're going to face blessings. And he's saying, God's your rock. That's what you build your life on. Doesn't it kind of make you wonder that in Matthew, the 7th chapter, remember when Jesus tells the parable at the close of the Sermon on the Mount about the two builders? And He said, one of them built His house on the sand and the other one built His house on a rock. And when the rains came and when the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and He's talking about the one who built on the rock. He says, His house was did not fall what's Jesus talking about he's talking about life and he says build your house on the rock so whenever we stop and we think about that and I believe what Moses wanted them to think about was your home your marriage, your family, your livelihood. Because we've talked about this on Wednesday nights also, haven't we? They're going from being nomads and settling in a land where these people are farmers and shepherds and vine growers. And they worship these other idol gods. And don't you think that sometimes... That those Israelites said, "Well, your crops look a lot better than mine," <laughs> and they're saying, "Well, if you worship the same God that I worshipped, your crops would look better too." And Moses saying, "Your rock, God, is your rock, and you stay with Him." So your livelihood. Your defeating of the enemies. God's your rock. You're taking possession of and hanging on to that land. God is your rock. That's your foundation. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to read verse 30 now. I read verse 31 a moment ago. He says, How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them And the Lord had surrendered them. For their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. What's Moses saying? If God is your rock, you can put them to flight. But if God is not your rock, guess who's going to get put to flight? That's what he wants them to understand. Listen to David in Psalms, the 31st chapter, verses 1 through 5. It says, If you, O Lord, in you, O Lord, I put my trust, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock and my refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. As you take a look at Psalms 31 and various commentators will say, it's hard to tell exactly at what point in time David wrote this. But David certainly faced his trials. There was times when Saul was chasing him. There was times when his own son Absalom was chasing him. And David says that God was his rock. He was his refuge. He was his fortress. And so as you think about these people and you think about them walking through this desert land that sometimes that whenever you would come upon a large boulder that would be a welcome sight sometimes a boulder like that can provide shade from the sun it can provide shelter at night it can get you out of the rain if there is like an overhang or a ledge I remember camping deserts of California seeing exactly that type of formation huge stone looking boulder and it seems to be kind of leaning in one direction and out there in the desert there aren't any trees (laughs) and it gets real hot and you can get a bad sunburn so you just kind of go under the edge of that rock the thing you've got to watch for those desert creatures that are out there <laughs> they know that too <laughs> so there could be scorpions, there could be snakes, there can be tarantulas so you want to scope out the area when you go under there but it provides shade and it provides shelter and as they travel through the desert I'm confident they came upon those kinds of things so, when Moses says God is the rock, they would have an image. But David, he says, He's my refuge, He's my fortress. You know what else those boulders provide? They can provide safety. They can also provide you that vantage point from which you can see your enemies approaching, or you may be able to fight them off because of that vantage point. And so, David says that he is his refuge, or that he is his fortress. So, when we read the words of Moses, he talks about that he is a foundation stone, he is a rock, he's immovable, he's unchanging. But when David speaks of him, he speaks of him as a fortress and as a refuge, a shelter, a stronghold in the time of trouble. Can you see that? So Moses has got an image. And you say, God, he's the rock. And David says, he was my refuge. He was my stronghold. He was my fortress. And so we have to ask ourselves, (laughs) if God is the rock, then what do you build your life on? (laughs) And in those times of trouble or threatening, where do you run? And that's what Moses is saying. And that's what David is saying. And so Moses, as he delivers these words, he's looking ahead. And he's telling them. And he says, let my words fall like the rain and like the dew on you. But you know, as I, as I think about Moses and I think about him, delivering these words at this time I also got to think that he's he's had to look back hasn't he see cause where did Moses where did Moses learn these stories you remember he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter His own mother became his nursemaid. He grew up in Pharaoh's house, but he was taught that he was a Hebrew and what they were waiting on. Isn't that amazing? And lo and behold, (laughs) Moses becomes part of the story. An important part of the story. And he becomes the deliverer. And at this point in time, he has got to think back about what all has taken place over the last 40 years. And he says, You're God. He is the rock. <laughs> I've experienced this. I know this. And now I'm leaving. And you're going. And this is the next chapter. And you need to have this image. I'm to add one more thing to it before we close. That's Exodus, the 17th chapter. Remember that story? They are traveling through the wilderness of, of Zen. And it's been a long journey. It's been a hard journey. It's been a dry journey. But they keep walking. And they keep traveling. Because God said walk and they walked and Moses was leading them and they followed until, until finally they came to a place called Rephidim and they were ex- expecting, they were anticipating that at that point <laughs> there would be some relief and we will get water and guess what <laughs> there was no water And so they begin to cry out. And they were upset. And they go to Moses. Why did you bring us out here? And Moses goes before the Lord. And the Lord tells him, You keep going. I'll see you at Horeb. And so Moses said, We got to keep going. And so they go to Horeb. And then when they get there, God tells Moses, You take your staff and you strike that rock. And when he did, Guess what? Water poured out of that rock. And they had water for themselves. They had water for their animals. It was like a river of salvation there in the desert. So I'll close with this thought from 1 Corinthians The 10th chapter. verses 1-4. through four. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate of the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so Paul makes the spiritual application. That rock that was smitten, God said one time, and Moses did. And it provided life giving water. And Paul says that Christ is that spiritual rock. They all drank from the same, and we drank from that same spiritual drink, or from that same spiritual rock. That was smitten one time for us. So in Deuteronomy 32. God is not just a rock but Moses says he is the rock and Moses wanted Israel to know that God was the foundation and he was their refuge and he was their fortress and he would be the source of their strength and of their life and Paul wants us to know that in a dry and spiritual or a spiritually dry world that Christ is our source And so Paul says, God is the rock. God is our rock. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to do that this very day. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.